Hey everyone, welcome to Outer Banks Health, the official podcast series of the Outer Banks Hospital and Medical Group. Each month we feature guests to discuss not only health-related topics, but community topics as well. We are your hosts, Denise Schnabel. And I'm Wendy Kelly. Denise, guess who's in the studio today? Who? Who do we have today, Wendy? Guess. All right, let's play 20 questions. Is it a resident? Yes, he is, but he grew up in Nova Scotia. Wow, that's fancy. Is he an actor? Mm, I don't know. Are you an actor? Mm, no. Nope. Nope, not an actor. But his hobbies include running and swimming, surfing, mountain biking, and saving people. Huh. Is he wearing red swim trunks and carrying a buoy? Well, not today, but in fact, we have a Nags Head Ocean Rescue Captain in the studio to speak about staying safe while enjoying our beautiful beaches and oceans. Denise, let's welcome Chad Motes. Hey, Chad. Hey, guys. Hi, Chad. Hi. Hi, Chad. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Nova Scotia, huh? Let's talk about Nova Scotia. How does one end up, or how does one go from Nova Scotia to the Outer Banks of North Carolina? Sure. You want the long story or the short story? <laughs> Whichever one you want to share. It's okay. your story. We can edit you. <laughs> All right. So, I had a friend in college I ran cross-country with. We were teammates, and he grew up lifeguarding. And I guess it was late 90s, he and his friend were searching out a place that could go that had a longer summer season. So Nova Scotia, they have a really nice summer, but it's kind of short. So it's about eight weeks, July and August. (laughs) And in the infancy of the internet, they got on and searched for a place in the United States where they would have a longer season and make some rescues and have some action. So 1998, Nags Head and the Outer Banks had a super busy summer. So I've got a flag that's framed in our station that flew over the White House to recognize Nags Ocean Rescue and the heroic acts huh. they did in 1998. Storms, nor'easters off the coast during the middle of summer, peak of summer, and they had red flags flying for, the legend goes, like two weeks, and people <laughs> kind of ignored the warnings, and they're constantly making rescues. And wow. Estimate somewhere in the neighborhood of like 700 to 800 rescues oh within like a 10-day to two-week period. So they read about that on the internet. And they applied to come down here. And that was 1999. So I ran cross-country with this fella. And a couple years later, he asked me if I was interested in going lifeguard with him in North Carolina. At the time, I spent my summers working at a summer camp. I'd always been interested in lifeguarding and doing the job, but never had that exposure growing up. Hmm. So I spent the winter training and went through lifeguard classes and getting in the pool and swimming in order to prepare myself for this. And so 2001 was my first summer down here. And you had never been here. Never been never here. Never been here before. Actually, that's not true. I ended up driving him and his friend down here in the <laughs> 99. We made a road trip out of it. Wow. And dropped them off, spent a few days here and hung out. And so I did see the place before coming down here for the first time. But that's the story. So your intention was to try out to be a guard? Yeah. And so you had never done that before, like for being in a pool or a small lake, you came to the Atlantic Ocean to try it out. <laughs> I did, yeah. So, I mean, I spent the winter between 2000 and 2001 doing all the lifeguard classes back in Nova Scotia. And I applied that summer then to work on the beach in Nova Scotia and to apply to work down here and got job offers to come both places and follow up my friend down here in 2001. And I plan to come down for one summer. and <laughs> The rest is history. One summer turned yeah. into two, and two turned into three, and yeah, then never left. Is so. your friend still here? 
No. So I also had the <laughs> blessing, I guess, of my parents were from the United States hmm. and I was born in Canada. So I have dual citizenship, which mm-hmm. made the transition for me really easy. He's a f- career firefighter in Ottawa. And so he's been doing that oh, for so the last he went 20 back. years. Yeah. Everybody's saving lives. Well, so now that you're here, how many guards are there on the Outer Banks right now? Total, like across the entire? Well, can, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you know that or if you just know Nags Head. Nags Head, we have about 42, and every season is a little bit different, just depending on how our staffing levels go and recruiting and that sort of thing, but anywhere from 40 to 50 guards. And I think most of the agencies, Kittleville Hills, Kerala, Duck Surf Rescue, have about similar staffing levels. And then there are some other smaller agencies, Kitty Hawk, Chickamacomico, and Hatter's Island Rescue that have lifeguards as well. How many try out every summer? I think every agency does a little bit different. We accept applications and they have to do pre-qualification, run swims and phone interview and that sort of thing. So I typically try to hire about 50 and then there's some attrition that happens as they get here and go through training and that sort of thing. Weed them out. Got to weed them out. Yeah. So down in Hatteras, I don't know if I've seen a lifeguard down in Hatteras. They have lifeguards down there? So there are, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Hatteras Island Rescue Squad. That's run by Jack Scarborough, who works for the Sheriff's Department and manages the dispatch center over there. He's a volunteer chief of the rescue squad down there, and they've got guards that patrol in vehicles and respond. Uh. And then there is one lifeguard stand, I know, at the lighthouse mm. down in Buxton, and that's a contract through Duck Surf Rescue, and they have four stands in the park service, one at Coquina Beach, hmm. and then one at Frisco, and one in Buxton, and one at Oak Coke. That's pretty cool. So as a captain, are you ever actually on a stand? Sometimes I wish I was. I mean, I do drive down the beach, and I'll stop and sit with the guards, but that doesn't happen necessarily as much as I would like it to. I deal with a lot of the administrative stuff and budgetary mm. stuff and stuff behind the scenes. And then I try to get out on the beach as much as I can every day, and sometimes that's more and sometimes that's less. I do enjoy going up and down the beach and sitting talking with the guards and getting to know them and developing those kind of interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. as well. It's great. All right, so let's start on beach safety now that we've gotten. He's a lifeguard. We got it. Sure. All right, big topic currently, holes on the beach. Yeah. It's been Talk the, to us about how bad that is. It's been in the news a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's been lots of questions. <laughs> it's something I think that's always been around. For whatever reason, when people come to the beach, like digging holes on the beach is much more <laughs> the fun than digging holes in your backyard for some reason. <laughs> I think it's just the ease of being able to move sand, and it can be dangerous, plain and simple. So our recommendations for us, and and we have some regulations and ordinance in our town to go along with it, but we ask that the hole be wider than it is deep. We ask that people don't dig any deeper than knee to thigh deep of the smallest person in the group. So take Shaquille O'Neal, who's seven feet tall, a knee <laughs> deep hole on him, it's going to be over a head of a toddler, you know? Right. So we ask you to think about the small person in your group. If you dig a hole, don't leave it unoccupied. You fill it back in before you leave the beach. And then sand, as you dig down, it gets wet and you can build those vertical walls. What after time, days when it's hot like today, that moisture dries out and mm. then it becomes unstable and mm. you can have collapses. And there's been instances all around the country and around the world of where unfortunate events have happened and people have gotten trapped in holes and even worse outcomes than that. And I know there was one up in New Jersey about a month ago mm-hmm. where two kids and one did not make it and go home. Mm. So crazy yeah it is so it's just one of those things that we've added to our list to talk to people about and try to keep people safe so you don't stop people you just kind of 
educate or, we educate yeah. and if, yeah. if it's gone too deep then we yeah we tell them to stop and you know we need you can only be this deep and we ask them to make sure they fill it in don't leave it unoccupied and still unfortunately occasionally mm-hmm. you know we get reports where yeah someone's left the beach and didn't fill it in or we come by the next morning and one of the first things our guards do when they get on the beach on the mobile units is drive to the beach and look for hazards and if mm. they find a hole that wasn't filled in they have to fill it in themselves so it's much better for them and so for that reason their guards are a little bit more proactive and telling people that they have to fill it in so <laughs> yeah. they don't have to do the work themselves <laughs> right. right makes sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the fun that there is on the beach that you really have to be mindful of a lot of things around you which you tend not to do on vacation but one thing in particular that i know we speak about every summer are rips rip currents are one of the the leading causes of water rescues around the mm-hmm. country, around the world. There's lots more information and honestly ways to educate yourself about things nowadays with these little computers you have in your pocket and YouTube and all the other things. Mm-hmm. And so there's all kinds of videos out there about rip currents and how to protect yourself and how to spot them. So I guess what I want to say is know your limits. This isn't your backyard swimming pool. It's not the pool at where you're from in Ohio or Pennsylvania or New York or wherever you come from. The ocean is a wild, natural environment, and every day is different. And mm-hmm. sitting out there, I tell our lifeguards this, because some of our lifeguards didn't grow up at the beach. They come from mm-hmm. other places. And mm-hmm. so trying to educate them as well and educate them how to educate people on the beach can be challenging. But it's one of those things when you sit out there for 100 days during the summer and you see things change, like the water temperature this morning was 56 degrees, and mm-hmm. yesterday it was 70 degrees. Wow. And why that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And you see the surf change based on the wind conditions and different storm fronts out there. So rip currents is one of those things that we deal with a lot. Anytime you have waves coming in and hitting a sandbar and you get that water that piles up on the beach and then it retreats, it goes back out. And so the rips are those little channels between the shallow spots on the sandbars where people like to play. People sometimes they walk off the end of the sandbar or the lateral mm-hmm. current takes them and they end up in a different spot than where they went out and sometimes get themselves in trouble. So one of the things we talk about and I'll talk about here is know how to swim. Don't go swimming alone. Go with a friend. It's a good idea to take flotation with you. Like rip currents, Mm. they pull you up past the sandbar. It's not an undertow. It doesn't pull you under the water. But if you don't know how to swim, then you're going to struggle to stay above the water. If you have flotation, hang on to the flotation and wave for help, yell for help, signal for help. If you see somebody in trouble, we do recommend that you don't try to affect rescues yourself, although that can be really hard if you're mm-hmm. a parent and you have a kid out there. Right. But be smart about things. Try to take flotation if you're going in the water to help somebody, if you think you're capable of doing that. Again, we don't recommend it, but understand it's going to happen. They're not going to pull you all the way across to England. They're going to pull <laughs> you you know, out beyond the sandbars, and that might be 50 yards, it might be 75 yards. So if you're on flotation, Hang on to that flotation, yell, signal for help. And if you see somebody in trouble, call 911, get the attention of a lifeguard. And lifeguards are human. They don't see everything. We try to teach them to see everything, but we're all human. And so there's a lot of things going out there to pay attention to. So yell to them, signal to them, run up to the lifeguard stand. You see, we got guards patrolling on ATVs, and you might not be in the area where there's a lifeguard stand. So call 911. And when you're out on the beach, the other thing when you're calling 911, you got to know where you're at. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing when you're so on vacation. Huge, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm sure this may be a topic of discussion about other things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oftentimes, there's one person in that house of 30 <laughs> people that knows where they're at. Right. And sometimes people, they might be staying in Kitty Hawk, but for some reason they think they're in Nags Head mm-hmm. or vice versa. So 
have an idea where you're at, know what town you're in, landmarks. If you know the address, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. If you go to a beach access, like know the make access, sure everybody right. knows what access you're at and that sort of thing. So are rip currents, are those the most frequent rescues that you guys do? I'd say so, yeah. yeah. They're like the, the bread and butter, yeah, so to speak. Like today, there's nothing going on, on the beach. The ocean was about as flat as it can be, oh, wow. and the water was about as cold as it gets during the summer. <laughs> so like there's nothing. People barely went in the water today. But you know, a couple of days ago, it was in the 70s, and we had a little bit of wave action. Low tide was in the middle of the day, so there was all kinds of people venturing out on these little sandbars. And, and we had a lot of those little, we call, it, call them hop and pops. But, like, people just kind of falling off the end of the sandbar and kids on boogie boards that got to where they couldn't touch the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then we're going out and, and assisting them and, and making some rescues and that sort of thing. So, yeah. What other kind of things do well, you see out there? Yeah. Uh, one of the other big issues we deal with is, like, strong offshore winds. I think here, like probably like a lot of other places, winds are usually generally calmer in the mornings. And then for whatever reason, as the land heats up, those winds pick up in the afternoon. We get those afternoon thunderstorms mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So usually right around one o'clock, you start to see the white caps on mm -hmm. the ocean. And days like today, so people go out on stand-up paddle boards, on inflatables and boogie boards, kayaks and that sort of thing. And they might paddle out before the winds pick up and it's calm and they'll mm -hmm. go a half mile offshore. And the winds pick up to 20, 25 miles an hour, and all of a sudden it's not so easy to get back to the wow. beach. And so it's pretty manageable during the summer when we've got eyes up and down the beach. It's much more dangerous when we don't have those eyes up and down the beach. I remember a call a couple of years ago. There was a couple, a man and a woman, they ran at these stand-up paddle boards and paddled out. And they were out beyond the pier, and all of a sudden the winds picked up. I think we were in training camp, so most of us were at the fire station, mm -hmm. and we got this call. Well, what had happened is they were out there, and they struggled and struggled trying to get back in, and the boyfriend finally told the girlfriend, like, I think I can make it, but... And so he paddled for the beach and made it back to the beach about a mile down the beach south and called 911, and the girl floated. So we ended up doing a search, and they found her... So this was up Bonnet Street area, about mile post 11. Mm -hmm. And they found her two miles offshore oh. off of Jeanette's Pier, six wow. miles south with a helicopter. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, coordinated wow, search and, and found her and rescued her and that oh, sort of nice. thing. Yeah. So happy ending to that yeah. one. Yeah. Woo. But it was scary. I didn't know where that was going there for a yeah, second, yeah. Chad. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what save are you most proud of? In all your personally. <laughs> many years, yes. Yeah. I've got a couple. It's funny, they're, they're both off-duty incidents. So I got recognized for a rescue a couple of years ago. I was on the beach hanging out with my two small boys. They're twins. And it just happened on the beach in front of me. We had a little onshore wind, some surf that had built up throughout the day. And just noticed a gentleman that was struggling. And I grabbed my paddleboard that I used for competitions and stuff. And I had it out there that day for training and stuff. I grabbed that and ran into water and kind of grabbed him and pulled him up above the surface mm. and got him on my board and uh, struggled a little bit. He was a larger gentleman and he was just whooped like he was mm -hmm. done like he dumped his adrenaline and uh. he had basically given up so anyway Aww. got him up on the board got him back to the beach had some other people come in and assist him getting him out of the water and that sort of thing but yeah it was recognized That's great. for that and congratulations, was, congratulations. Was, yeah it was cool because my kids were there and got to see yeah. you know, their dad <laughs> my dad the hero yeah yeah that's amazing the one little public service oh. announcement I want to talk about is folks that come that are with children mm -hmm. and think that the guards or hope that the guards will 
kind of do a little babysitting. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just kind of want to underscore the, the importance that you remain vigilant, keeping your eyes on whomever you're yes. in charge of. Yeah. And, and I mean, our guards are trained professionals. They're there when we need it and called upon, but they're not babysitters. Especially with small children, the ocean environment, it's really important that parents be lifeguards themselves. And so when a child goes down, they go down fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's tricky with kids, too, because they don't necessarily understand and respect the ocean or don't, just don't have the experience to understand it. So just educating your children and teaching them the limits and making sure you know understand their swimming ability and they understand it. That being said, too, like a lot of our rescues, those little rip current rescues, oftentimes and I touched on this before, that a lot of times kids will get themselves in trouble and they'll be on a boogie board and drift out into the rip and get caught in it. And the parents are the ones that end up going mm-hmm. in and trying to affect mm-hmm. the rescue, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they end up being the real victim, victim of it. The kid gets pushed in on a wave because they're mm-hmm. on a boogie board and the parent runs in without any kind of life tool, like a, a flotation device. And then we get there and we're rescuing the parent and we're bringing them on the beach. And a lot of times, you know, we're calling EMS. And I get that natural instinct being a parent of of wanting to to protect your children. Be preventative and be preemptive and really, I guess, respect the ocean and make sure that they understand the limits and and stay close to them in the water. That's what I was going to ask. Since you're a father of two, but you're also a lifeguard captain... Are you more conscious or more safety conscious with your kids or are you more, you just educated them and they'll be all right? Do they get mad at you because you're overbearing when they're on the (laughs) beach? (laughs) They're honestly like pretty timid of the ocean. We've taught them. I've had people ask me, approach me like, how did you teach your kids Mm -hmm. to swim and that sort of thing? Like, I spent a lot of time with them in the pool from an early age. Mm-hmm. I would take them to the pool two or three times a week and made them point where they're comfortable and could kind of self-rescue, keep themselves afloat and tread nice. water from an early age. But that being said, they've <laughs> had their dose of the ocean mm-hmm. and grown up around the ocean. And so I think they have a pretty healthy respect for it. And they were Good. pretty scared of it from an early age, just the waves mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And they've been in little rips and I've had to jump in the water with mm-hmm. them and like, okay, you're in a rip. Mm-hmm. It's pulling you out. You can't touch the bottom now, Thanks. but you can tread water. This is what we're going to do to get out of it. So they have that healthy respect for it. And I've taken them out on surfboards and paddle boards on little days and Thanks. we've caught waves and that sort of thing. But they don't like being far away from the beach, or at least they right, haven't. Right. But probably in the last couple of years, they're turning eight next month. You've gotten to the point where they're learning to body surf and boogie board mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So they're becoming a little bit more adventurous towards it. But it's all striking that balance mm-hmm. and giving them a little bit of freedom to test the waters, but being that safety person. It, I guess myself, just being a professional, I trust my own skills in order to help my children and that right. sort of thing. Nice. But I know that not every parent possesses that as well. Yeah. So do you guys do some type of education in the schools or anything or community outreach? Yeah, we do some various things of community yeah. outreach. We get some groups of kids come over from Nags Elementary nice. at the beginning of the summer every year. We work with some of the education stuff down at Jeanette's Pier. So Kristen Brown runs the education department down there and runs like they call a waterman's camp. And That's they learn great. how to fish and surf. And so we come in with each of those sessions and do like a little lifeguard education and talk about what we do and the risks we talked about with you know rip currents and what we do to affect rescues and that's great and yeah. Denise, you wanted to ask about animals, so I'm going to let well, you do that. Well, I just that. wanted to ask because I get so angry when I see people on the beach when it's 100 degrees with their dog. So let's do another public service 
promotion of making sure your pets are safe on the beach. Yeah. Chad? <laughs> Today is a prime example. I mean, it's heat index of 100. So hot. Yeah, and that sand gets super hot, I think. Mm. Not everybody realizes it, but it does. You realize it when it's too late. Pets, for sure. Dogs, especially if they're dark-haired and that sort of thing. But probably best to take your dogs out early in the morning or later in the evening. Same thing with children and people out there. Make sure you have shade. They get plenty of water. I know dogs have a tendency, some of them, to try and drink ocean water, which doesn't work out too well. <laughs> if you do bring your dog to the beach, they are allowed in Nagshead. I don't know the specific rules for each town, mm-hmm. but check with your town. I know some of them have. You can only bring them out in the mornings and the evenings. Oh. Pretty much any public place, though, on the other <clears throat> banks, your dog is supposed to be on a leash, unless it's at like a dog park or something like that. So you are responsible for your animal, responsible to clean up for your animal. Thank you, Chad. Yeah. We have to bring up the animals. Well, and then how about the wildlife? Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the wildlife. What advice do you have that. about our wonderful wildlife? Yeah, so it's a natural environment, and there's lots of animals out there. We take our kids, or I'd say kids, our guards, over to the aquarium, <laughs> usually during training every year. We, we didn't get to go in 2020 and 2021 just because of the COVID and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but we went back this year for the first time in a few years, so it was a lot of fun. And they do a whole educational session on some of the different wildlife out there. But common things that we run into, the one that everybody loves is sea turtles. (laughs) This is a big nesting place for sea turtles. And I think there's five different types of sea turtles that nest out here in the Carolinas. And all of them are either endangered or protected federally. And they mark the different nesting sites on the beach. You'll see them kind of staked off and tape around it with a little sign just educating you on what it is. There's a volunteer group nest that patrols the beach every morning, looks for turtle tracks to see if they've laid nests. So that's a cool one. Loons is another one Mm. we deal with a lot. It's just a bit Mm. of a headache sometimes. (laughs) So loons are a water bird that are common out here. They fish and eat little fish and stuff like that on the water, and they get full. And the same thing with humans. When you eat a lot of food, we recommend you don't go swimming because all that blood goes to your stomach. <laughs> well, same thing for these birds. Like They get full and they want to rest, and so they come up on land, and their feet are pointed backwards for swimming mm. purposes, so they can't walk, and so people always think they're injured. Mm. And so they just want to come up on the beach and chill, and the hard thing about that in the summertime is that there's all these people, and so mm. people like crowd around them and think they're injured and try to help them Mm. and really all they want to do is be left alone and that might take 24 hours for that to happen and then occasionally sometimes they are sick or injured and nature takes its course and that sort of thing but it's just one of those things they're wildlife and they want to be Mm. left alone and, and i think we need to respect that Other stuff we see out there and we deal with, especially on clear days, fish in the water, Mm -hmm. wildlife in the water. I mean, it's there. It's the ocean. It's a natural environment. You can't get away from it. But if you see things in the water swimming around, (laughs) probably not a idea to go try and swim with them, you know? So that's good advice. That's what I want to say about that, okay? (laughs) Have you ever been bit by, or what is it, stung by jellyfish? Yes, but like. Yeah? You haven't? I have never been stung by jellyfish. Are you kidding? But like, it, it doesn't bother me, like. I think jellyfish is one of those things different people react differently. It's like mosquito bites. Like, I don't react to mosquito bites anymore. I did when I was a kid. That's nice. And some people react really strongly to jellyfish, and some people not really at all. Well, it probably depends on the kind of jellyfish. It does, that too, yeah. Yeah. Some of the common jellies we have around here, not too bad. Jellies. We do occasionally get man-o'-wars, which can be much more severe but they get pushed in from tropical water usually when we have tropical systems and stuff like that they get pushed in from some of the warmer waters cool 
So, any other tips you want to talk about? One of the things we deal with is environmental emergencies, so heat exhaustion, heat stroke. So we talked about the sand being super hot, so we have seen people with burnt feet Mm. or dogs with burnt feet. Today is one of those days where we have environmental emergencies and people just overdoing it, whether it's going for a run in the middle of the day when it's too Mm. hot or just going out on the beach and drinking too many cocktails and (laughs) sitting in the sun and not getting any Mm. shade. So just be mindful of that. And we talked about making sure you know where your location is. Uh, That's we a get, good one. We get children and elderly people that get lost from time to time. It's easy to go out for a walk in the morning and walk over the dune and everything looks the same and have no idea where you are. And, and <laughs> some of those, like especially older people, will spend hours walking back and forth Aww. because they're too proud to admit they're lost. You know, kids, are, on the other hand, they're... <laughs> they'll let you know they're lost right away or like you you can recognize they're running down the beach crying and and there's nobody around so that's a little easier one to deal with typically so i have to ask a question have you ever hit anybody with your beach buggy (laughs) (laughs) he's not gonna admit that no i haven't but i got a funny story about somebody we'll end on a funny story when I was a lifeguard, there was a, a supervisor, and what happened, like, we used to get contracts at Guard Southern Shores. This is where that town it happened in. And the beach was kind of narrow, but we would go out with the truck in the morning and set a, a set of tracks along the dune line and try to keep that open for vehicle mm-hmm. traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, these kids came out, and one kid buried his friend in the tire tracks. <laughs> like completely buried and put a towel over his face and covered his face with sand and then ran back to the house to get a camera to take a picture. And the truck came along (gasps) and ran over to this kid. No. And the supervisor describing it, he said, man, it felt like I hit a speed bump. And I looked in my rear view mirror and this kid popped up (laughs) and ran away, like scared the bejeebas out of him. And the kid was fine. Like nobody was hurt. All right, let's add that to the list of things we don't want people to do. Yeah, so on that note, uh, most of the, the lifeguard agencies and staff, we try to have an emergency vehicle lane. It's at the toe to dune line so that we can drive unobstructed and have a safe place to drive. Right. We can also scan the water and the people on the beach. And so we ask people, give us room and place to operate. And yeah, that's a funny little story to go along with that. That's excellent. All right. So this podcast is brought to you as a public service by the Outer Banks Hospital and Medical Group. If you've enjoyed this podcast, share it on your social channels. To hear more Outer Banks Health, check out the library at theobh.com slash podcast. This is your host, Denise Schnabel. Stay safe.